This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Crazy Fish, the official podcast of the 2018 Animation Festival of Halifax. My name's Siloan Daly. And I'm Philip Stamp. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Crazy Fish, the official podcast of the 2018 Animation Festival of Halifax. Today, we're welcoming Linda Craigmile and Lindsay Allen to talk a little bit about their experience in the animation industry. So, uh, first of all, Linda, why don't you just uh, tell the folks a little bit about yourself and what you do and what you've done and where you're from and all that. Sure. So I've been working in animation for 24 years now. I can't believe I'm saying that, but yes. Um, born and raised in Toronto, and I have worked in animation in various aspects, including um, as an animator, as well as a cell painter way back when cell painting was still a thing, and worked my way through production to producing, which is what I do now. Yeah, and that's that's how I know you. We met yes. a couple of years ago, and we've got to, uh, had opportunity to work on a couple of shows together with you as the producer. Correct. And uh, it's been great. Great. Uh, and so, Lindsay, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi. Um, well, I, I'm from Moncton, New Brunswick, and uh, I have 16 years in the industry now, uh, all in Halifax mostly. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and... Uh, I started off in various departments uh, when I first came to Halifax, uh, I was 20 years old, and um, started doing ba- background painting and props and uh, got offered a storyboarding position and uh, really, really took to it. I really enjoyed how you can help create the entire uh, story arc um, and 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 see clearly uh, the story from start to finish and, and how much it involved drawing, no matter what the, the medium of the production was. Um, and so I was, sto- well, I still consider myself a storyboard artist, um, but I was doing storyboards for 13 years and until recently I uh, had, had the opportunity to become an episodic director on one of our new shows here at DHX. Uh, and I'm really enjoying that because it's a whole it's a whole different world where I'm not only getting to dig deeper in uh, in creativity, but also learn what other departments, uh, what their role is in production uh, a lot more d- deeply than uh, when I was just stuck, uh, well, when I was solely in the storyboard department. <laughs> and that's when you and I, uh, like I, I knew you first as a storyboard artist. And, and for me, there's a uh, an obvious career path that goes from storyboarding into directing that was sort of in a roundabout way was a little bit of my own uh, career path. And um, uh, so it was nice for me anyway, to, to watch you make that transition. And um, yeah. recently I was discussing this with, uh, with some colleagues about, so I, 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 I've been working in the industry. Oh <clears throat> yeah. More than 25 years, but a while. And, uh, you know, I, I had, um, I was lucky enough, uh, last year to, um, to be a part of the women in film and television, um, um, event that took place here in Halifax last year. And 
as a part of that, one of the things that uh, that I wanted to be able to say in that, uh, you know, at that event was I wanted to speak to the changes that I've seen in the industry in terms of the number of women that are participating at various levels. And, and anecdotally, I told a story about how the very first job that I ever had in animation, which was at a studio in Ottawa, there was one woman working in that studio uh, with probably at the time something like 50, you know, roughly 50 um, men and, and one woman. And the, the one woman that was working in the studio at the time uh, was a receptionist. So um, uh, she wasn't working in the capacity of, of an artist or a producer. She wasn't working on, on production and not, you know, not that uh, there's any, you know, devaluation to the to the role of uh, you know somebody working in the studio in that regard but she wasn't working as an artist and at the time I had wondered what the opportunities were and so what was nice for me um, was having the opportunity to, to tell people that you know when I came here to Halifax in the studio in our in our DHX studio uh, there was about f originally 85 percent male to 15 percent female and now uh, it's more like 54% male to 46% female, something like that. So it's, it's changed a lot and, and across multiple departments. And so that's a change that I was able to sort of see with statistics. But Linda, I'm wondering, because you've had opportunity to work pretty much around the world, and I'd be curious to know um, what your perception is of the changes over, that you've seen over the years or recently, if, if at all. Well, my first job was at um, Nelvana in Toronto and uh, was run by three men. And the artists on the floor were majority were, were men and boys, really, and uh, with a sprinkling of women. Um, but it was interesting. A lot of the production people were women. My production manager was a woman. My producer was a woman. So that was kind of nice to see. Um, starting off as an artist... It was harder, you know, when it's all men on the floor. Um, and I did that for a while. And then I found my calling was in production, in supervising um, groups of people and teams. So it was nice when I first started out my career that there were some women there that I could look up to and and have be my mentor and who I wanted to be when I grew up, you know? So um, that was nice to see. And then I also had the opportunity to work for another company in Toronto called Portfolio Entertainment that was run by two women. And um, to see the difference, what it was like working for a company that was run by men and one that was run by women. What would you say the most tangible difference in that was? Um, I think the two women understood, I mean, they had families and they had children and they kind of understood, you know, that most women eventually get married, have children, and they understand that work-life balance. And I find some don't understand, you know, things happen with children at school and you have to leave all of a sudden. And I found in some workplaces they understood it and others, they didn't understand the children aspect. So that was an interesting thing that I went through in my career, for sure. It's funny because, um, you know, it, it seems so obvious. It seems like almost like it's such an obvious thing to be aware of. Um, Lindsay, from your 
perspective and certainly getting, you know, a position as an episodic director, um, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a wonderful position of creative authority. Um, so, and, and obviously I know that that's fairly new, uh, fairly new experience for you, but can you talk a little bit about, about that, about the experience? I mean, you know, have you, have you felt any shift in the, in the last 16 years and then in, in particular, um, uh, in this position as a director, uh, is there anything that, you know, positive, negative, neutral within the experience of, of being a woman within this industry that you would, you know, uh, be able to speak to in terms of your experience? Um, well, first off, uh, definitely a notice, a noticeable change in, uh, the amount of women that I work with, um, on a daily basis, even, even 10 years ago, um, most of my friends in the industry are, are men as a result, um, because I haven't, uh, I've worked definitely more with men than I have with women. Um, as far as directing, um, and my personal experiences, I mean, I've been very fortunate to work with many strong women. Um, and I look up to a lot of them in, in higher positions, um, you know, as to as to what Linda was saying, like line producers or management. Um, um, I've had a lot of support along the way, that's for sure. And the men that I work with now, um, on the sh- even on the show that I work on now, are, are incredibly supportive and, and compassionate people. So I haven't, I, I can't say I've had firsthand experience uh, in in such a notable change. Possibly if I've had worked overseas or, or had a different kind of experience. Um, mine have mostly been positive, but definitely the amount of women uh, interest. Well, the amount of women working in animation today is is is, is uh, far more um, uh, numerous than than from when I first started. That's for sure, and it's it's a great difference to see. Um, more women uh, gaining work experience means more women. With job opportunities uh, to be promoted or be in a higher position of power, and possibly uh, make some ch- make some changes that I may not be seeing day to day, but are are likely evident. I mean, what kind of changes would you? What, what do you think are the type of changes uh, still that you would like to see? <laughs> um, I can answer that. It's a difficult one for. Yeah, it's a difficult one for me to... Can you? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, um, which is what everyone's talking about now, is uh, pay equity. Um, I believe there's still a gap there. Just because at my level, you know, and the number of studios I've worked at, I see the salaries and I see what people are making and there's a gap. Like, to be honest, there is a gap. There still is a gap. I think that gap will eventually close, but it's still... It's still there. So, uh, joining us on the line now is uh, Rebecca, who is also here in Halifax and works at a studio called Copernicus. And uh, Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, where you're from, and, and what you do? Hey, uh, I'm Rebecca McGinnis. I'm currently a production coordinator at Copernicus Studios, but I've kind of done a lot of everything there. I've done animating, animation supervising, uh, managed production. Uh, So I've been there for about five years now, kind of dipping my fingers into all the pools. (laughs) That's fantastic. We're talking now a little bit about 
the subject of, of pay equity. And there's this elegant phrase that Linda was just trying to remember. I'm trying to remember it well. It's like equal pay for equal. Work for work of equal value. Something like that. No, yeah. there's a more elegant there phrase. There is a more elegant There is. I, I don't not remember it. Anyway, point is, is it's about equal, equal pay and equal opportunity. And Rebecca, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that subject, particularly in terms of anything like recruiting or uh, hiring or new talent. Well, um, I mean, when I'm involved in the recruiting process, I'm mostly uh, evaluating the abilities of the animators. So I'm taking a look at their demo reels, you know, I'm reviewing their tests and seeing their potential. And the name isn't so much important to me as the quality of their work. And, you know, once I've looked at the quality of their work, then, uh, you know, I, I introduce myself to the person and, you know, get a feel for their personality and their working dynamic. Uh, I'm not so much involved with the direct hiring or uh, the compensation or working on the contracts, but I'm more involved with the talent side of the uh, the recruiting. I like to believe, uh, you know, in my heart and soul that, that I don't bring um, uh, gender uh, bias into my decision-making, but truly you can never really know. And so... Um, you know, there has been a concerted effort, certainly in, in our studio, to to, um, to make sure that in the process of recruiting um, and hiring that we have multiple voices and different people weigh in so that, you know, that we're able to sort of cross-check whatever kind of decisions that we make and that we're not biased, um, you know, in, in, in things like the amount that somebody is paid or uh, who gets hired for the job. And we, we usually... Um, you know, the usual process is, is exactly the same. You look for the quality of work and someone's experience and you sort of measure that up against, you know, um, what you're able to, what you're able to offer. But I, I don't know, Rebecca, if that's the similar, um, if that's a oh, similar experience. Yeah, for you. I would say it's never one person's input on who gets hired. It's usually a concerted team effort. So you, you have it's not dependent on one person and I, Definitely know that Copernicus try, you know, nobody wants to be biased against that. I'm, I'm more likely to be biased to, uh, depending on what school they came from than anything about the person themselves. And I actually think that's a good, it's a really good, it's a really good and interesting point because part of what happens is we all bring biases to the table, right? And how do we recognize our own bias and, and acknowledge it, right? And kind of use it in the environment that we're in. But if you're specifically gearing up and staffing up for particular kinds of shows, you're going to look for particular kinds of skill sets and ways of approaching the creative work that that is at hand, right? And that's, you know, you can't, there isn't a neutral zone, right? Where you, where the work is um, inherently better one way or the other um, in that sense. Well, you, go, you can also go to the writer side that most of the writers in animation are men over women. There's very few women writers in animation that I've come across, which is slowly changing, but it's still a man's world in that area. I think it's the same with live action, but it's getting better. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I mean, I think just in my experience look, looking at it, I would sort of I mean, again, without really doing uh, giving specific numbers, but I mean, I'm thinking about the people that I've had the opportunity to work with over the last few years and like who are our head writers versus who are our just sort of contributing writers and and um, in the vast majority of shows, it's been male head writers and the writing staff has been sort of at best, um, 70, 30. Yeah. 
if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah I was going to say that'd be, that'd be a very strong showing. But yeah. I mean, for me, I wonder, and I've often uh, asked this question, um, like, so, because Lindsay, for example, who, who we're lucky to have with us today, um, you know, a, a typical career path for a director, uh, a very typical career path in animation for a director is to go, um, you know, go through years as a storyboard artist uh, or as an editor. And by the same token, there are very few female storyboard artists and very few female editors. And um, so, so, you know, I get asked the question all the time, oh, how come you don't hire more female directors? And it's like, well, you got to start, you got to start lower than director. You can't just hire somebody out of school as a director, right? You, there's a path. Uh, and part of the question that I have is how do you foster that path, right? I mean, Lindsay, I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on that. How do you foster that path? Um, well, first of all, um, I mean, I made it known that it was an interest of mine. That definitely helped. And um, Jilly Fogg, I mean, she was always a champion uh, for me. And, uh, and um, she was one of, well, she was one of our few directors that were, that were also, that was also female. And um, yeah, just, um, you know, if, honestly, it's hard to say, like, unless, unless women apply for the position, it's hard to continue from there. It's unless they're interested in storyboarding or interested in, in that path, it's hard to know um, how to encourage that further. Um, but I mean, I do have women in the studio that, that have come up to me and, and, and have said, oh, I want to be doing what you're doing. I want to, I, you know, it started in storyboards and, you know, now it's directing, but like they, they're interested in it. And I, you know, and I try to encourage them to, to do it, just, just do it. I, I'm not really sure what holds some people back more so than others. Um, I just know from my own experience, you know, I just, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just, you know, tried re really hard to get what I, what I wanted, uh, for myself, uh, out of, uh, this industry. And, um, so, you know, you know, I, I mean, I think the people that I work with are doing, I think they're doing the best that they can under the situation. I don't really know what tactics you can, can do to improve uh, people coming forward and people wanting, you know, to speak up on, on their needs and wants uh, for themselves in this industry. Um, um, it's interesting that, um, um, for uh, Lindsay to have mentioned uh, Jilly Fogg, who is a, a wonderful director, a series director that I had um, opportunity to work with for a few years here in Halifax. And, uh, you know, I think it's worthwhile pointing out that, um, you know, uh, obviously uh, for a lot of folks such as myself and, and, and other people who train in animation, you do come through hearing about the nine old men and, you know, Don Bluth and, you know, these classic Chuck Jones, all these, these, you know, men who, who made a mark on the industry and were a real inspiration and still are, and rightly so, uh, wonderful artists who created beautiful things, but all the inspiration doesn't have to come from, you know, 30, 40 years ago. And, and for me, um, still on a daily basis, uh, my good friend, Jilly Fogg, um, is an inspiration to me. She's a, a wonderful, wonderfully talented storyteller, um, has a wonderful uh, spirit, wonderful energy about her, and uh, is an incredibly talented 
um, artist and uh, leader, and she's an inspiration still to me. And uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be more uh, folks like her that are an inspiration to a lot of new artists and people who want to direct and tell stories as well. Well, there are a couple of strategies that are being tried across the industry right now, right, which are which are things like look at different pathways. Where are the women in the field? And so, for example, I look at across the table at Silouin and say, oh, you know what? I know a whole bunch of women who work as independent producer, directors, animators in the artistic field. And, you know, how do we bring them back into a kind of a corporate culture and, and provide the kind of support that are, that is needed there? The other thing, and this is where women in film and television and women on screen and, you know, Telefilm Canada and the National Film Board of Canada, have all, they've all taken initiatives to really dedicate a support structure and real funding to recruiting women into the field. And more to the point, to ensuring that women don't leave the field mid-career because they're not getting the support that is required or they're coming up against a culture of exclusion in some way or another that won't work for them, right? And so that's that's something that's really helpful. But I'd be interested in, in um, you know, Silouan, I don't know if there's something that... Yeah, I don't want to bring the negative, but I, I myself worked in post-production and was a film editor, and that's how I started in the industry. And I had a really hard time being almost always the only female in the studio and I remember being told you know why all these guys are coming down this hallway it's a dead end they're coming by to look at you because you're the only girl in the building oh my god that's awful and (laughs) so I I had a lot of not great experience starting out in the industry and finally kind of quit (laughs) and started my own business Mm -hmm. because I saw guys who weren't working as well, I, I, from my point of view, getting promoted ahead of me and getting paid more than me. And it and that, wasn't always a great work environment. And Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, and, that's, and that's one of the things that is really true for, for, a lot of, for a lot of women, for a lot of people who are racialized in one way or another, for people who are kind of coming up against looking like they don't belong to what the norm is. And I, and I don't mean that in a kind of you have to be a white male to get a job in the business, not at all. It's just, it's one of those kind of like, how do you look at the culture of the environment and think about am I supporting all the people that I could support to get the range of creativity that I need at the table? Because if the statistics are telling me I don't have everybody, how do I get them, right? Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> out, you know, com- completely outside of the context of the current, um, you know, political climate and, you know, with the Me Too and Time's Up and everything like that, completely apart from that, because that's very new. Um, and I mean, everything in animation, including production moves very slowly. Um, you know, a big question that I have is whether or not, whether or not those attitudes that, you know, those attitudes that were a real obstacle for you, um, how prevalent they still are. Um, I really, I really, I mean, I do, I do wonder about it because you have to identify it to, to overcome it. So, I mean, I don't know, speaking to, opening it up to everybody who's on this conversation, if anyone has any perspective on that. Well, in my 20 plus years, I've definitely seen a difference of more women. Um, My editors that I've used in Toronto, majority of them have been women, which is great. My color, colorist was a woman. My online editor was a woman. 
and my offline editor was a woman. So that was a great experience for sure. And this particular editing house had a few women there. So that was really great. Um, it wasn't always that way. I, th- I found it changed over the years, um, which is great. I mean, one of the questions, I guess, I think it'd be really interesting to ask you, Phil, and this is, for me, I, I sort of think about, oh, things are shifting, right? I mean, things, yes, absolutely, people change slowly, right? But things are shifting, and we're at this kind of moment where something could really change about the industry. And I'm just wondering, not just Phil, but, you know, everybody around the table, do you see that, you know, is there a bright, shiny future? Well, I mean, I I think there is. And, it, you know, one of the interesting things that I've come up against, um, you know, and, and speaking you know, to my own experience as a man, um, you know, I, I, uh, um, had a, you know, very strong independent woman, uh, who raised me. I had two older sisters who were brilliant and incredibly talented who, you know, I interacted with my, my entire life, um, and with whom I'm, I'm very close. And, uh, so examples that I was raised with, um, were very much examples of equality. Mm. And so, uh, in animation, uh, particularly in animation for television, commercial animation for television, one of the very interesting things that we often run up uh, against, not, not, not that we run up against it, but that we encounter, are shows that are very specifically targeted at gender. Mm. Uh, and these are terms that come up all the time. It's boys' action. It's, um, you know, um, girls' preschool. And these are terms that we hear all the time. And they just, you know, they, nobody bats an eye at the notion that there are things being created very specifically for a, a specifically gendered audience. And, you know, it's, you know, 20 plus years of seeing this. And for the longest time, I had hoped that there would be a turning point and we would get over that and there would just be shows for kids and shows for kids of various ages as opposed to you know, um, you know, pink butterflies and rainbows for, for girls and trucks and cars for and boys. Trucks and cars for boys. Yeah. And, uh, but we are not even close to getting away from that at all. And, you know, I mean, again, I, I, I throw it out there as something just to shine a light on because I, maybe, maybe there's a real value in maintaining that. Maybe there's a real value in maintaining that difference. But I do often think about, um, you know, I have a daughter who's a huge fan of animation and she was a big fan uh, a few years ago of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is a a series very much not designed for girls, very much targeted at boys. Uh, And I know a number of little girls that I've seen, uh, um, you know, uh, my uh, my partner's kids, her her, uh, little girl, also a big fan of Ninja Turtles. And... You know, so I don't know, but it's a very curious thing within specifically the realm of animation for television that you have these properties that are very specifically, de- you know, targeted at boys and girls. And uh, um, I still have, you know, I still have trouble with it. And I, I don't I don't know if other people feel the same. And I don't know if that's there's a part of that. I don't know what kind of lessons that are coming out of that. So, I mean, and I, again, I don't know what your experience, Linda, is with that kind of thing. Well, the broadcasters that I've dealt with have always wanted a show that 
is good for boys and girls. Some shows will work that way and you can kind of do stories that are more boy driven and stories that are more girl driven. But it's a hard balance to please both sexes, really. Like, I, I think it's still really tough to do that. Yeah. In, in, a, in a world where the gender binary really kind of comes into play at a very early age and then and there is that differentiation. And, you know, yes, absolutely. There are bridges. Right. And we and we think of, you know, teenage mutant ninja turtles, maybe one of those bridges. Right. That can cross over um, or some of the kind of independent artistic work is work that can cross over um, in a whole variety of ways. Um and then how do you, you know, I mean, it's sort of like I think 10 years from now, we're going to look at the material that gets produced and it's not, we're not looking for something that pleases all audiences, probably quite the opposite, right? And so do we think, we have to think about things like gender, language, culture, storytelling approaches, like all those kind of factors that maybe can enrich the work that we're doing, not isolate it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think that's it. And I also want to step in. I think it's better than it used to be. I think when I first started out in the industry, I found a lot of the programs were really for boys and not there weren't a lot of strong girl characters in shows. And I see over the last 10, 15, 20 years that they're creating strong girl characters in animated television shows now than what they used to because they're actually thinking about it. Which is nice to see. It is very nice to see. And uh, on that, I did have a follow-up question. But, Lindsay, you had something to contribute. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, we're seeing a lot of strong strong female characters, but they're not in necessarily typical gender roles. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I myself, I do have a problem with the whole um, boy shows, girl shows, and I... And I know that young children are introduced to gender stereotypes, you know, when they go to the grocery store, every product placement you can imagine or commercial. Um, but I don't see any value in continuing with it or, or you know, just because they have instilled this expectation, um, furthering it through their childhood and their upbringing and um, yeah, it would be nice to see more shows that are just catered to kids because I don't know any kids that don't like everything, <laughs> you know, on one level. Or, um, and, um, and, you know, yeah. So, yeah, it would just be nice to see a, uh, a little more variety for, for, for everyone involved. Uh, a couple of years ago, we uh, had an opportunity to produce a brand new version of Inspector Gadget. And uh, we were very clear to say we weren't doing a remake. It was just a new chapter of Inspector Gadget. And when we started doing that, uh, I was um, very pleasantly surprised by how many of, uh, you know, the the young women on uh, our crew came up to me and said they were so happy to do Inspector Gadget because they loved the character of Penny so much and that Penny was such an inspiration to them. And of course, if you're familiar at all with Inspector Gadget, you know that Penny is actually the real hero of the show. Gadget is all practically a villain. <laughs> he's he's almost does more damage than the bad guys are capable of and Penny is usually the one that shows up and makes sure that everything goes right. And, and, and that was, for me, I thought it was so great to hear that. Um, so I wanted to ask everybody here uh, if there is a character, 
doesn't have to be a, a female character, but if there is a, a, a character or, or a personality within our industry who is or was an inspiration uh, to you, to your, you know, your work now or to your career, um, uh, if you could just talk about that just real briefly. Yeah, it's funny. When I think of how I got into animation, everything I was learning about animation, all of the, everything that's hammered into you, like the best animation, it's just, uh, you know, like Disney's Nine Old Men. And, and then you've got like Chuck Jones and, and, and Don Bluth. And it, it's funny how all throughout school, you're just exposed to like men from the ground up in the industry. Uh, as far as characters go, I, I just thought I'd mention that story, a bit of a tangent. Uh, but as far as characters go, there's there's two that that uh, jump out to me. Do you remember uh, Dot from Reboot? Of course. The uh, the the voice of reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She, I, I, I don't know what the policy on on swearing is, but she has her stuff together, and uh, I always appreciated that. And uh, another character that I liked was uh, Elisa Maza from Gargoyle, New York cop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I always dug her. <laughs> um, yeah, for me, um, drawing a blank on a character per se, but I've always loved and enjoyed the art of Mary Blair. And, um, yeah, just speaking to what you said about uh, the nine old men, <laughs> You know, here's a woman who came into a very male-dominant industry, and um, yeah, came out with some beautiful, beautiful artwork that you know definitely um, were an inspiration for a lot of women in the industry back then, and and for years to come. Um, so yeah, <laughs> anyways, just a huge fan. <laughs> For me, my favorite, I mean, I'm going to talk about a series over a particular character is uh, Scooby-Doo. I watched it as a kid. It's still remade uh, today. I think it's a great show, simple concept. It still works. And it's it's just an awesome show to watch. I used to love Scooby-Doo. I still do. How can you not? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one of the wonderful things uh, about our festival this year, uh, and one of the things, and 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 really, this is um, kudos to Siloan. Uh, we have some wonderful programming at the festival this year from um, some incredibly talented female filmmakers. And I don't know, Siloan, if you'd like to chat about that real quick. Sure, I'm really um, proud to. Uh, have such a strong role in the programming of the festival and um, the program that would have the most uh, female directors in it is our Canadian Shorts program which is more than half uh, women directors and animators and um, two of them are coming out from Vancouver in fact we invited all of the artists who were in the program however uh, a number of them are in production on new works and so two of them can come out from Vancouver and we're going to have an extended conversation with them after the screening which I'm really excited about Amanda Strong and Alicia Eisen and um, they're both working in stop motion and um yeah, I'm really excited about this program. Yeah, me too. I'm looking forward to meeting them. And I mean, to uh, I'll, I'll say that I'm looking forward to a time when this is not a, a conversation that has any meaning, when it just goes without saying that we have wonderful um, filmmakers, period, wonderful animators and wonderful artists and, and everyone, and there's opportunities for everyone. 
Well, having studied animation in art school, my inspiration came more from the independent artists that I was looking at and working with, and in particular, my housemate who had just graduated from CalArts, the Disney School of Animation in Los Angeles. And she was so enthusiastic about the medium that it was infectious. And um, so I almost had no choice in becoming an animator. Um, and I, I got drawn up into it. And, um, and uh, it's a little emotional because um, she was one of my best friends and um, a very sad event happened and, and she was murdered, um, unfortunately, a few years ago. But Halifax loved her so much that we named an award after her. And um, we're bringing it back this year. There was a few years where it was dormant due to administration um, stuff. So this year we're bringing it back and we're going to give out the award in the name of Helen Hill at, um, at the screening of Canadian shorts called Vegan Delights, inspired by um, the fact that she was kind of a born-again vegan because she's from the American South and she was definitely not raised a vegan, but um, she loved her sweets as much as her animation. So Vegan Delights is sort of an inside joke <laughs> and a sweet memory for myself. Um, so yeah, we'll give out this award to a maritime artist who's going to continue in the spirit of independent animation. Anyway, that's part of my inspiration and a large part of the reason why I started this festival. Thanks so much for mentioning that, um, Solomon. I think it's really important and it's it's wonderful. I'm very happy that we're able to bring that award as a part of the festival this year too. And, and thank you so much for making that a part of it. Yes. And I should thank the Linda Joy Media Arts Society who, um, who created the award and the Atlantic Filmmakers Cooperative who worked towards helping Linda Joy to bring this award back. Well, thanks to everybody that was able to participate today. Um, it's uh, wonderful to have the opportunity to chat with everybody. It's lovely to hear everyone's perspective. I know that this is a, a, a conversation that we could uh, and should uh, bring up more often, and uh, I'd look forward to having another opportunity to chat about it with folks and certainly very much looking forward to, to seeing... Uh, seeing these filmmakers and artists and, and all of the folks who are going to attend the festival. And I hope that uh, those of you who do come, uh, you know, that you take the opportunity to, uh, to try and chat with some of these folks. And, and, um, and for those of you out there who are coming to the festival, if you have, uh, um, you know, uh, young kids uh, who are aspiring artists, particularly if you have daughters who are aspiring artists, um, there'd be a wonderful opportunity for them to meet some people who could be inspirations to them. Thanks for joining us for Crazy Fish, the official podcast of the 2018 Animation Festival of Halifax. For more information about screenings, workshops, events, and tickets, go to the website aniefx.ca. That's A-N-I-F-X.ca. You can also follow us on Instagram at afx.2018 or on Facebook at Animation Festival Halifax. For those of you who use Twitter, you can get additional information by following at CarbonArc. That's at Carbon underscore Arc. See you at the festival. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 